When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Just having a journal of that stream of consciousness of your greatest insights and those low moments allow you to put those thoughts in that silly box. This imposter thought is just as silly as how I thought I'd be a millionaire creating a sticker to block your webcam. Welcome to The Art of Charm. I'm your host, Jordan Harbinger. And today, this episode is pretty special because it is the 10-year anniversary of the podcast, so I'll be probably talking about that all year, but definitely this month, and most certainly with this Toolbox episode, we got the whole gang together, the AOC team, the original AOC team, Johnny, AJ, and myself. We're talking about a very apropos topic, speaking of the 10-year anniversary, which is imposter syndrome. Of course, this is something that a lot of high performers suffer from. You've heard about it from Navy SEALs, CEOs, brilliant scientists and researchers, and uh, I would be remiss, I would be lying to you, actually, if I said that we didn't also suffer from the same thing. So I I can think of nothing more appropriate after doing this for 10 solid years to cover the topic of imposter syndrome, which is something that still creeps in even after a decade. By the way, if you're new to the show, we'd love to send you some top episodes in the rest of the AOC Toolbox, where we discuss things like reading body language, charismatic nonverbal communication, the science of attraction, negotiation techniques, networking, influence, mentorship, persuasion, and everything else that we teach here at The Art of Charm. If you're in the United States, you can text the word CHARMED to 33444, that's C-H-A-R-M-E-D to 33444. Everywhere else, just hit up theartofcharm.com and at theartofcharm.com slash podcast, you can find the full show notes for this and all previous episodes of the show. All right, here's the AOC team with a little bit of imposter syndrome. We got the remedy. One topic that's come up a lot on shows with everybody from Navy SEALs to authors to academics and performers and TED Talkers is imposter syndrome. And it's something that seems to be something that affects pretty much everybody, but almost disproportionately affects high performers of the exactly the type of people that listen to the show. So I wanted to have you guys come on and discuss this because I know you see this at boot camp all the time and it'd be great to talk about what imposter syndrome is, why it's bad, how we deal with it, et cetera. So I think another part of it goes back to a topic that we've discussed here before, which is the Dunning-Kruger effect, where people on the lower end of the bell curve of intelligence are going to tend to beat their chest about things that they don't know about and tasks and activities that they've never done before and will rate themselves on a higher level, where those on the higher end of the bell curve know what they don't know are going to be uncomfortable doing things they've never done before. They know that they're going to not be so good with those things. That also lends itself to self-doubt, being very critical of yourself. And I think that's what is in common with high performers. So basically, as high performers, we know, well, I'm not going to get this right off the bat. Whereas somebody who's kind of more of a knucklehead will go, this is so easy, I don't know why you have a problem with it. And instead of comparing our levels of self-awareness, we just compare our level of confidence, which ends up misleading us as to how competent we might be at something. Sure, and if you don't have that much experience with life, just being somebody, a young guy, because that experience isn't there, it's easy to get caught up in a 
negative self-doubt loop and self-criticizing yourself and buying into your own self-doubt. Yeah, and I think one of the most shocking things for us has been the more that we've sort of opened up to people about this in our peer group, the more common it really is. And a lot of times we sort of lock these feelings of inadequacy in you know, we withhold them. We don't want to share them with others. We view them as weakness. And the syndrome, we think, just affects us. So step number one is identifying what imposter syndrome is and calling it imposter syndrome. If you get caught up in a self-doubt loop, you could also get caught up and flourish in a positive self-talk loop. So with that experience and certain habits can force it in another manner. So, But we'll get there we'll have to talk about how we can work through this and things to help us be better with it. It's an element of negative self-talk that happens with, especially with high performers. What are these voices? That I'm the only one that sort of slipped through the cracks. I don't belong here. Look at everybody else. They're so smart, so capable. What other types of talk are we? Well, the two psychologists that that coined this term, Pauline Clance and Suzanne Imes, uh, 1978 said, it's a feeling of phoniness in people who believe that they are not intelligent, capable, or creative, despite evidence of high achievement. All of the reality is that you have accomplished things, but you continually doubt your ability to achieve and believe inside that you are a phony or a fake. Sure. And we can chalk that up to cognitive distortions, flawed thought patterns. Right. So basically the same biases that affect us all in other areas are now affecting us in our self-talk. It seems like it's self-reinforcing because if we think, oh, I'm the only one here, slip through the cracks, I don't belong here. And then when we do eventually start that activity, we don't necessarily realize that maybe other people think the same thing and we start to go, oh, look, we start to be our own harshest critic, which then takes us into this negative thought loop. How can you be able to see it, any other person dealing with that when the only tools that you have to deal with the world are your own senses, which always put you in the middle of whatever's going on. So it's hard to see anyone else struggling with it. When we look out through our bubble, we just see people doing their thing, thinking they know what they're doing. They have it put together and and we're struggling inside. And everyone has this feeling of wanting to make it look easy, even though it takes a lot of effort. Of course. No one wants to talk about the effort behind the scenes to be flawless, to be perfect, to get the 1600 on the SAT. But behind the scenes, they're doing a lot of work. They're practicing. They're trying to figure out these skills. So because of that, we see everyone else sort of effortlessly achieving. And then internally, we're like, well, we haven't achieved what they have achieved. I'm not worthy of all of these compliments, testimonials, or people saying that I'm the shit. So that feeling of phoniness, we lock inside. We don't share with other people. Well, there's another thing to that. There's the randomness of things not working if you look at other people and what they have going on. And if you see those problems everywhere else around you, then your own world starts to become very crippling because it comes collapsing on you. So like, even right now, if we had to look at what is going on for us to be able to put this podcast together right now, well, there's an electric company somewhere just keeping the lights on. There's these computers that are working. If we see all these things that have to work for us to do this and see them for the little pieces that they are, that they can all fall apart at any moment, then our whole world starts falling apart. We are geared not to worry about those things so we can focus on the task at hand. We shut all those other things else down. The sense of not feeling that you're worth the accolades or achievements you've gained is fairly common in high achievers, which is something that a lot of people don't talk about. And just like all these other cognitive distortions we talk about on Friday in class that kind of blow the doors off of things, 
we share these cognitive distortions. We all do. We all have these feelings. So part of today is just opening up about that conversation that each one of us has felt this syndrome in our lives. Well, sure. Imagine you're going in for surgery and you had just found out that your surgeon is in the washroom having a bout of imposter syndrome. How good would you feel about what the task at hand? No, not good at all. Right? And I'm sure how many listeners have been in the courtroom and while you're sitting there trying to have your DUI handled or whatever legal thing you're involved with, and your attorney is sweating it out in the bathroom going, I can't get in there. I can't do this. I don't know if I'm the guy for this. How good would you feel about this? We don't, we can't understand that is going on elsewhere. It seems like this problem increases as the distance between our opinion of ourselves and our own abilities and our accolades increases. So if I win a Grammy, but I still think uh, I'm not really a good singer, that's actually going to make the problem worse as I achieve more because the distance between my self-assessment and how other people assess me begins to widen and probably causes some issues. Yeah. And what we end up doing is that wall continues to grow and grow and grow. And when it comes crashing down, it's a pretty intense mental struggle. So it's important to recognize that this is normal. This is common. Call it what it is, imposter syndrome. And then we can start to deal with it and break it down as to why it's happening and how it's impacting us. Great. Do you guys have any stories about this in your own life that you want to share? As we just mentioned, everyone deals with this at some point. And I got to say, I mean, of course, at the beginning of this company, right, it was difficult when we decided to fight for an idea when things aren't going well for all entrepreneurs, when you're grinding it through, you're going to have talk all day to yourself of, is this worth fighting for? Am I the guy who's able to fight and see this through to the end? And all of us at one point or another, I'd ask ourselves late at night, staring at the ceiling, am I doing the right thing? Are we doing the right thing? Is our message getting across? Are we helping people? And I think at the end of the day, when we got letters, when we got emails, when we saw people subscribing to the podcast, we're like, yes, it is worth it. It does make sense. We are doing the right thing. It is worth fighting for. We'll get some more examples of that in a bit. Yeah, it seems like you really need to amass just overwhelming evidence to the contrary of you being some sort of fakey, disabled, whatever type of person, a person who's not able to handle the work. When AJ and I first started the show, people were like, oh, will you coach us in this particular skill set? And I remember 10 years ago going, oh, we're not coaches. We can't do this. And then we flew around and met all these other so-called coaches, and we started taking coaching programs and realized, like, wait a minute, not only are we able to do this and are we acing these coaching programs, but other people who seem to have no problem calling themselves coaches and have very satisfied clients are nowhere near as good at this stuff. We just happen to be much more hard on ourselves when it came down to maybe labeling ourselves as such. It took years to kind of get over that. Yeah, for me, the time in my life that I felt it the strongest was in graduate school, I was starting my third year and was preparing to work on a thesis. And the first couple of years in grad school, you just rotate through labs. And I was working on a cancer biology PhD program. And the rotations were going okay. Some of my experiments were working. Some weren't working. And then I finally picked a lab. And it was a pretty famous lab at the time for colon cancer research. And my boss was well-regarded, highly esteemed editor of numerous journals. And And as I worked in the lab, my experiments were failing one after the other. And my thesis work wasn't really coming together. Like I saw all these other graduate students come together. And I really started to question like my value. Did I belong? Was I actually valid in getting in? Maybe it was an oversight. Somehow I squeezed through. 
And unfortunately for me, this was over 10 years ago now, I didn't have the mental strength to really deal with it. And I ended up quitting graduate school. And what's so interesting now in telling the story on the program and working with so many graduate students in class, it's a pretty common thought amongst graduate students of as things are not going your way and, and you've spent years of your life working on a project and you aren't getting the results that you want, those feelings of doubt start to creep in and sometimes they can overwhelm you. Uh, success quickly is also another way that it hits you because it was, you read everywhere and you, everything seems so hard, but you for yourself, whatever reason, a lot of times young artists will have a lot of success out of the gate and they don't know how to deal with it. There's a lot of self-doubt. There are a lot of, did I just get lucky? Am I the real deal? Am I a genuine artist? Am I that good? Where somebody who gain that attention maybe 30 years after working hard will take every bit of that and cling on to it dearly and not question anything. Right. So would you say, in your opinion, that imposter syndrome happens at a younger age? Absolutely. Because it's just the, the experience isn't there to back it up. And you were mentioned about the lab. Though you've been working on those things for years, in the grand scheme of things, it's a very small sliver. <laughs> sliver. Yeah. Especially when you try to tell that story to somebody who is 50 years old. They're like, oh, uh, you're in, in, in grad school, huh? Yeah, well, it's kind of like saying, I'm not as rich as all the other billionaires. I feel bad about it. And he's like, look, you're at a PhD program at a top school and you're worried about you're not able to do this. I mean, they wouldn't have accepted you for that. And I mean, is it a function of age or is it a function of experience in a certain field? You know, if I'm 50 and I reinvent my career, am I going to have imposter syndrome in this new field that I'm in? Well, I think there's levels for everybody, but I, I think it is it's more of a phenomenon for younger folks who haven't had all that life experience who are either struggling or had some success up front because it's very nerve-wracking. The people who are struggling, am I good enough? Should I be here? People who got success early, did I have a lightning strike? Am I as talented as everyone around me thinks? So that it will fuck with you in both ways. And it all comes back to failure. It's, it's how we deal with and handle failure. When we look at it, it's what's the root cause of the failure? Is it coming from something that you've been working on for months or are we talking about 20 years? And I think with age, we start to realize that failure is more of an opportunity than we saw in our youth. So this sounds like something that would make us feel bad at some level, but is there a threshold at which it holds us back? Because, all right, we already know it's normal. We already know that a lot of people go through this. That must mean that it serves some function at some point or is just a common mistake that people make. But is there a certain degree to which you end up with imposter syndrome where it's no longer, hey, this is normal, this is healthy, it's fine, to where you're going, hey, look, you're shooting yourself in the foot actively by indulging this feeling? Absolutely, and I think it depends on how much you buy into your own self-talk. How many of these little voices in your head, which voices get credit? And you'll rationalize different things in different ways to accept whatever final result or thought you need to. And that's important because you have to establish what thoughts are allowing you to move forward and which thoughts hold you back. Because you're going to buy into it one way or another. So you get to choose which ones you're going to buy into. And that's why it's a cognitive distortion. Absolutely. So what can we do about it? How do we come off it? Yeah, I think the first step is recognizing it and calling it imposter syndrome. I know 10 years ago when I was in the lab, I didn't even know it was a thing. And I'd never heard of it before, and I didn't know to mentally categorize it in that way. So for me, step one was identifying the problem 
and realizing that it's important that we recognize that we took action, right? Absolutely. So in taking action, there are going to be consequences that we like and consequences (laughs) that we don't like. But you did say yes instead of no. And that simple act alone is going to start your mind to, to look in the opposite direction, start looking for evidence to disprove this, right? As a cognitive distortion, it happens when our mind is focusing on the wrong things and essentially not seeing the reality of the situation. So number one, giving it some humor. Absolutely. Turning it into a bit of levity in a situation where you're really stressed out, you're really focused, laughing at yourself, knowing that other people are going through this too, and it's just a mental trick you're playing on yourself. And a challenge of something fun to work through because everyone deals with it. Now, here's your turn. And it is something that you can beat, but identify it first, put some humor in front of it, and know that there's going to be a, a voyage through this. Johnny, we know if you listen to the show, you are driven. In fact, we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to recent Indeed survey. We have hired a lot of team members over the last 17 years. Going through endless resumes, well, that's a time sink. But you know what else is a time sink? Interviewing endless people because they're all gonna give you the best face forward. That's why we love Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash charm. Just go to indeed.com slash charm right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash charm. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Over the last 17 years, we have launched our fair share of online courses, coaching programs, and finding the right platform has always been a challenge. They say if you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. But if you're an entrepreneur, you know the hard work that comes with it. That's why you need Kajabi. Kajabi makes it easy to run your entire online business from one platform so you can focus on what you love, creating. Kajabi is the ultimate all-in-one platform that helps creators and entrepreneurs build successful online businesses by unlocking predictable recurring revenue. No matter your niche, Kajabi makes it easy to turn your skills, passions, and experiences into enriching online courses, exclusive membership sites, subscription podcasts, thriving communities, personalized coaching, and more. The best part? Kajabi doesn't cut into your revenue because everything is owned and controlled by you. So keep 100% of what you earn. And with Kajabi, you also get robust analytics, easy payment options, email marketing tools, and customizable website templates all built in. You don't even need a huge audience to make sustainable income. There are thousands of creators on Kajabi making six and seven figures with less than 50,000 followers. 
Right now, Kajabi is offering a free 30-day trial to start your business if you go to kajabi.com slash charm. That's K-A-J-A-B-I dot com slash charm. Go to kajabi.com slash charm and join the creators and entrepreneurs who have made over $7 billion. How do we start to accept that we actually maybe have played some role in the success we've had so far. Because it's really easy to look and say, like I did on Wall Street, oh, I'm the guy here who's gonna get fired, they're gonna figure out I don't belong here, everybody's smarter than me, you know? And even at some level, I'm still like, I was right about that. Step one, you're there. You're there. You're there. So whether it be you tricked them all. Or you earned it. Or you earned it, you're there. Right, that's the step one, is recognizing that you're there. And that's an important thing. And I want to give this this analogy and this story. I mean, the Ramones is a band that everyone at least has heard of. At the very beginning of their existence in the 70s, there was nothing going on. And they didn't like any of the music that they heard on the radio. So they decided to start the band that they would want to hear on the radio, not knowing how to play. And so... They find CBGBs, they manage to rehearse, get themselves on stage. And of course, those performances, which are on YouTube, are a complete catastrophe. All starting the, a different song, a fist fight on stage. But the moment that they had got off stage and one person walked up and said, wow, this is everything that I've wanted to see in rock and roll that we're not seeing anymore. And Johnny looks to Dee Dee and he goes, well, we fooled one, right? We got one. How many other people can we fool? Now... At that time, it was, how many people can we convince that we actually know what's going on when we can hide the fact that we can't play? Well, from doing that for decades, they ended up pulling the reverse, which is being able to play those songs. And it wasn't faking anymore. They did it, they faked it until they made it, and it became a reality. And so whether you got to that point by sheer luck and faking it, that's a great place to be to figure the rest of it out. So there you go. And the aha moment that perception is reality. I know it's a cliche phrase, but when you recognize that the way you perceive an event has real value on its reality to you. Sure. So looking at a situation and, and starting to make a choice, does the evidence that I'm seeing back what I mentally am feeling? And in this case, looking at the appreciation, the gratitude, the accolades, the testimonials that people are giving you. And for some of us, it's actually putting them all in one place, storing them on a post-it note or in a document on your phone. So in those moments where you're like, man, I'm failing, I'm bashing my head against the wall, I don't think I deserve to be on this list, or I don't think I deserve this accolade, to then go pull up this document and be like, well, come on, AJ, that's ridiculous. Like Things have been going right your way for five years now. You're hitting a roadblock. It doesn't make you an imposter. It doesn't make you any less worthy of these results. Then the other part of that is you have to be able to accept the compliment that somebody else gave you. And it's going to be a fight. But if you continue to ignore those and say, well, those don't matter. Uh, they were just being nice to me or however you rationalize it. It's going to be a long, long fight. So how do we break through some of these cognitive distortions? Do you keep a list of accolades or do you keep a list of appreciation letters from other people or awards you yeah want? as aj said you keep this list and you accept the things that they had uh, part of keeping the list is accepting right absolutely it's putting it in a place saying that this is reality that i made someone else feel this way i was appreciated 
and I received this achievement award because of it. Right. I will say that people who cannot take a compliment, cannot accept a compliment, are doing themselves a big disservice. They may feel on one side it keeps them humble, but it is fucking them over internally. And it is not allowing them to move forward and use these things to feel good about their place and where they're going. So that's very important. The second thing I would say is to focus on others. When we are feeling imposter syndrome, we are looking inward. We're only focusing on ourselves. And a lot of times getting out of that funk is giving value to other people, being of service to other people, helping someone out, listening to them, offering them advice, investing in their life instead of just focusing on what's going on with you can mentally pull you out of this funk. Well, that's a fast track because what is that other person then going to say in return about what you had just done, which you now have to accept? Right. It's a great right. thing. So it's a virtuous cycle because it pulls you out of that hardcore introspection that's not doing you any favors. And simultaneously, you're proving the rule, which is that you are able to help other people or offer value or be a, a value of service. Yeah. And one of the problems with the accolades, the testimonials, right? They're very temporal. It's very locked in that moment. So it's easy for you to say, oh, well, yeah, AJ in the past was deserving of this, but the current AJ isn't deserving of this. And that's why being of service to others, helping other people out, empowering other people, focusing outward and giving value to others will allow you to get that appreciation in the moment. Another one is make sure that you understand that when you're comparing yourself to other people, you're putting yourself in a once again, another disservice of not moving forward, right? You're so focused on what everyone else is doing that you cannot do the work that you need to do to move forward. Yeah, that's a tough one because this is something that I, I'm definitely guilty of too. It's funny because you can look at people that you compared yourself to five years ago and you're like, what, what was, was I, I thinking? thinking? <laughs> but then you find yourself in the, the same breath comparing yourself to somebody else in this particular moment and going, well, my life is over because I don't have five best-selling books. Well, at the end of the day, the only person you need to be comparing yourself to is who you were yesterday. And right. Can you incrementally be even 1% better? However, when you're young and you haven't laid out any of that experience, you do have to look around to see what's going on. But it's to keep that in the proper perspective that that is not the be-all, end-all. And the perspective, the most important perspective to keep in mind is the journey. When we're on the journey, we never really compare ourselves to someone who's been doing it the same amount of time or on the same level. Right. We often compare ourselves to people who are three steps ahead of us. Well, guess what? They're three steps ahead because they've also invested more time in that project. So to compare yourself to a best-selling author or a multimillionaire, well, yeah, that person's been in business for 15 years. We've been doing this for 10. Well, those five years, as we've seen, can have exponential growth. So it's not as far off as we think. The problem is we discount the other person's journey to get there. We always compare our blooper reel to someone else's highlight reel. Like you said, we don't take into account the journey. We don't take into account the other myriad things going on. And additionally, we always tend to pick and choose. It's never like this one person has all this stuff. I wish we were doing more of that. It's always, well, this person has this and this other person has that. And then these other five people have these other things. And you think somehow you should have all of those. When if you added all those people's journeys together, you'd have 185 years of work put into those particular achievements, which is actually impossible. So you set up this losing battle for yourself that you then replay in your head and that reinforces the imposter syndrome and the self-comparisons to the point where you could cripple yourself with that type of self-talk. We are aware this is not easy. This takes self-discipline. Oh, This yeah. is mind control, but our own. 
which is the only mind you can control. So it's realizing that, listen, my mind is going to stray. I'm going to have these thoughts. It's not rewarding those thoughts and allowing those thoughts to blossom into thinking, right? We have these blinking moments in time where an emotion peaks in our head and we look at someone, we compare ourselves to their perfectly curated Instagram photo, and then we get locked on that and it becomes a thought pattern. So it's important to break that. I will say as somebody older and seeing the Instagram generation and not knowing what goes into those pictures and finally learning what goes on those pictures. Oh my God. It was that blew my mind to give me proper perspective on what I was seeing. I couldn't even believe it. I was amazed at how much time people will spend to get that perfect picture. It's gotten to a level now that they don't even want the perfect picture. Your feed has to match up. Color-wise, oh, wow. look-wise, because no one's just looking at an individual picture anymore. They're oh. looking at your feed and flipping through. So you want to get the colors coordinating oh. and the travel. Yeah. <laughs> so we're looking at a generation. A curated. Right. Brand. It's overly curated to the point that all you ever see is that top part of the iceberg that is everyone's amazing, perfect self. I know for myself, if I didn't get the picture in two tries, then I move on. <laughs> Picture's not getting done. So, and the thing is, understanding how I went about it, being an older person, understand how the younger generation is going about it. It was an awakening for me to know what was going on. It's a little scary, actually. It I mean, it's very, very scary. Like, I, I look at social media, we all do that sort of like compare contrast thing, which social media is designed to do. But man, if you get sucked into that Instagram, especially if you're like a young teenage girl, like, there's got to be just crushing amounts of pressure. I'm so glad that I didn't grow up in that particular type of environment. So what's sort of the antidote? I mean, what can we really do to become more real and get a more accurate hold on and handle on who we are? Well, the key piece of advice that we talk about a lot here at The Art of Charm is just treating the journey like an experiment and knowing that all experiments have negative results and positive results and enjoying setting up the experiment and pushing yourself, challenging yourself to get that 1% better. And it's okay for you to get bad results. Why? Because it was a test. You're giving it a shot and making the proper corrections and moving forward. It's not a done deal. There's plenty of life to live and these tests have to be done. Right. So looking at the failure or a perceived failure is simply another data point instead of something that means something about ourselves. Sure. Which is, you know, a whole nother thing. And we see it a lot. A program. There's a lot of uh, perfectionists out there. And so the idea of running a test and getting some 98% as the result. Yep. It's not going to work. You So what if you get a 98? So what if you get an 80? So what if you get a 50? You now have evidence and data to make corrections to do something else with. And just because things went wrong doesn't mean that you're not real. You don't deserve to be there. That means you're smarting yourself up to make the right decisions, to make the corrections. In fact, that makes it more worth why you are the one that's there and not somebody else. So it seems like the only way we can really lose in these situations is to not continue to try or to hold ourselves back because of this negative self-talk. We stand to lose much more from not putting ourselves out there, not going after it because of our negative self-talk than we'd continue to try to do something even if we fail. Basically, the only way you lose with this negative self-talk with the imposter syndrome is if it's able to stop you in your tracks. Yeah, which happened to me in my 20s. I understand it completely and it can be paralyzing. That's why we're talking about this and, and bringing some recognition to it. Because I know there are a lot of people listening who probably have never heard of this. 
AJ, you had mentioned earlier to keep a list of compliments and things that you get that come your way, which is great. And it's also a, a form of journaling, but journaling on your own wins and keeping track of them, no matter how small they may be. So not only are you keeping track of what other people are sending your way in compliments, flattery, but you yourself are keeping track of your own wins. Putting this all together, you're going to have a nice list to look back on, to feel good about. And you are now starting to build that experience that we were talking about earlier, that when older people deal with imposter syndrome, they can laugh at it because the work has been done. They feel good while they're there. And the great part about journaling is putting your thoughts actually out on paper or in a note in your iPad or iPhone and allowing yourself to go back and see them, right? A lot of times we put so much weight behind this one thought And if you could just go back to 72 days ago, what was that thought you were having in the morning when you were brushing your teeth? You'd realize that you have a variety of thoughts swirling. And some of them are, yes, I am Superman, I am invincible. And some of them are, I am an imposter. And realizing through journaling that these thoughts come and go, you just can't allow them to become implanted in your mind and be that thought pattern, that thinking that we're talking This about. is almost like, remember that movie Memento where the guy's tattooing notes on himself so he can remember stuff? This is almost like the on-paper version of that where you basically are leaving a breadcrumb trail of proof and clues for yourself that says, next time I feel like I don't belong at this job because all these other people are smarter than me, go back three weeks later where you rocked it in a meeting and everyone gave you a pat on the back and you won this little paper plate award and everyone took you out for lunch or something like that because you were the man of the hour. That type of thing can then start to show you, look, all of these things are temporary. All of these things are based on my own set of feelings, which are based on all kinds of different external factors over which we have either no control or are not even relevant to our situation in the first place. Well, I know myself, I have just loads of notes on Evernote and notebooks in my phone. And random times throughout the year, I just kind of end up surfing back through and being like, let me make sure I deleted all the grocery lists in my notes. And I'll go through and read some of the thoughts I had and how, and in this moment, it was pure genius. I need to write this down. This is going to be a product that's going to make us a lot of money, solve people's problems. And then I'll read it and be like, that's just stupid. (laughs) Why did I think that was smart? So just having a journal of that stream of consciousness of your greatest insights and those low moments allow you to put those thoughts in that silly box. This imposter thought is just as silly as how I thought I'd be a millionaire creating a sticker to block your webcam. Yeah, it reminds me of uh, James Altucher says something like, you know, write down 10 ideas every day. Most of them, probably 10 out of 10, are going to be really terrible ideas. Sure. And you just do it anyway. And it makes you realize that, hey, some of your thoughts are terrible thoughts. And that's Completely fine. rubbish, not relevant to reality and, at and all. And it starts in an entrepreneurship, but it's also all artists have to start things and go, that was stupid. What the hell was I thinking? Oh, that riff is awful. What was I thinking using this as a medium too? And it's like, you're going to have bad ideas. It's okay. And a lot of times people, for all the work that they put in, they can't get out of their past And we've talked about that in narrative work and with another podcast. But just because you had been somebody or came from somewhere, that doesn't mean you're stuck there. And a lot of people, it's almost like being in quicksand. Their past becomes these unbreakable chains that they carry with them. And slowly but surely, it impedes any sort of action. In fact, you know, because you came from there and now at this place, it makes you that much more heroic. I mean, we went home for the holidays. How many people back home knowing our past can believe where we are now. Oh, So we're kind of living the opposite, but the point is your past does not mean future results. Absolutely not. It's the same thing you talk about in investing. 
You can't look at your past and guarantee future success or future failure. And looking at that way is is losing thinking. And, and I will go as far as saying, and I think all of us here understand how bad the American school system is. It's like geared up for sending people in factories in the 40s and the guidance counselors of and see your grades and making a prediction of where you're going to be in 10 years. Don't, don't worry about any of that. That means nothing. The work that you're willing to do, the tenacity that you have to do it, and the heart that you have is going to be a determination of where you're going to be doing, not anyone else from there looking at your grades and seeing what you're doing at school at what ninth grade. I'm yeah. glad we're not looking at my ninth grade report card. No kidding. Oh God. No kidding. Talking to people. It, it sounds so simple, but it is so incredibly important to share these thoughts openly with someone. And fortunately for you guys, we've built a challenge, a Facebook group that has like-minded individuals sharing some areas of life that they're focusing on, some qualities they want to change, and really working on their social skills. And it's a perfect place, again, to share these thoughts openly and allow them to sort of get out of your own head. Sometimes we lock ourselves in these thoughts, we marinate in these thoughts, and they, again, impede the action that we need to be taking. And just the simple act of sharing it with a friend we truly trust or going into an online Facebook group like ours at The Challenge and logging in and sharing, hey, this is something that I need to improve. This is something that I'm feeling. And and boom, 40 people are like, oh, I'm feeling this too, right? It lessens the burden. It takes that weight off your shoulders. And I want everyone who's listening to this to think about confidence as a structure. We'll look at it as structural confidence, confidence that has to be built. It is nothing that a light bulb gets turned on or it's nothing that you've just been given. It's something that you build. Just like this company has been something that we've built. Just like a skyscraper is something to be built. And we understand what it, how the time and effort it takes to build a skyscraper right? A building. It takes some of these things that we see in in New York and Los Angeles takes years to build, right? Realistically, how fast can we bring one down, right? And all of us who've been through September 11th know not much can bring it down. And so all this work to build something, a few seconds to take it down. So if we look at confidence as this building that we're putting together, even if we just build the building, we build the confidence and we let it go, what is going to happen just after time? Time in itself, natural causes are going to bring it down. So just by putting it up and never looking at it again, there's already forces at work to take down that building, to take down your confidence. Right? So what are the other things that are going to take down your confidence? A friend stabbing you in the back, a girlfriend dumping you, some bullshit at work happening to you, and your confidence is taking hits from all sides. And so what are we going to do to guard against that? And just from the natural forces in it itself, maintenance, a strong foundation, reinforcement, who's going to be doing that for us? We got to do that for ourselves. Sure, getting a girlfriend can give us some confidence. Getting a promotion at work can get us some confidence. But is that confidence going to continue to build and strengthen? It's a little shot to the arm. We're the only force that is going to be steady and building that, strengthening it, and making sure that foundation is there. And all the other forces are there to take it down. And so at that point, you have two choices. Are you going to be somebody who's going to be adding to your structural confidence? Or are you going to be somebody who's helping all the other forces take it down? There's your choices right there. 
If you want to be somebody who is listening to yourself doubt, listening to the gremlins, as Brene Brown would say, all the bad internal stuff, you now have made a choice to take down the structural confidence that you built. Or you can journal. You could put yourself out there. You could talk to other people. And now you are somebody who's reinforcing the structural confidence. From those decisions, you will see that the circle becomes, and it's a reinforcement of positive or reinforcement of negative. And you decide which one that is going to be. Who's helping you build the structure, right? Yeah, The people you're spending time with, the people you're investing in as well. So being cognizant of the role that they're playing in your confidence. Do you want to continue hanging out with people who are going to be taking sledgehammers sledgehammers and running planes into your structural confidence? Or you want to be hanging out with people who are bringing over some some paint, paint, shining up those windows, reinforcing the doors, (laughs) bringing in some plywood? Those are the people we want to be hanging out with. Last thing I want to touch on, through imposter syndrome, it does develop a bit of humility. And it is important for us to understand and put into context some of our achievements. So we're not saying the only way to get over imposter syndrome is to just become this overconfident, almost arrogant being. It's understanding that there is some humility in success as well, that it's been some chance, some environment, some influence that has got you to the point that you are and allowing that and fostering those feelings to become someone who's a well-rounded individual. Right. Sure, so, yeah. so we can't just cover it up with a shellacking of like bravado, like, oh, no, I'm totally great here. Everybody else doesn't belong here or whatever kind of overcompensation we might tend to have when we finally realize, oh, this is imposter syndrome. In fact, I can see myself doing something like this, reacting like, all right, I got to go swing that pendulum far to the other side and make sure nobody else sees my imposter syndrome by being a total D-bag and throwing my weight around or something like that. And I can see my younger self doing something exactly like that. This reminds me of a parable that Tara Brack relayed. It might have been in an interview elsewhere. She's got a book called Radical Acceptance, by the way. We'll link that in the show notes. And she shared a story about Buddha and uh, this demon called Mara. And it goes a little something like this. One day, Buddha was teaching a large group, and Mara was moving around the edges looking for a way into the group. I envisioned Mara running frantically back and forth in the bushes and trees, making plans to wreak havoc. And one of Buddha's attendants saw Mara, ran to Buddha, and warned him of Mara's presence. Hearing his attendant's frantic warning, the Buddha simply replied, oh good, invite her in for tea. I think the important thing to realize from the parable is that one, recognizing what imposter syndrome is, and two, inviting it in, allowing yourself, reminding yourself to realize that it's okay, it's an important step of the process to success. And successful people around the world for generations, whether it's Albert Einstein or the entrepreneur that you're pining after, have experienced this. Well, thanks, guys. Great to have you out here and finally do some of these face-to-face. Great big thank you to the rest of the AOC team for that imposter syndrome. Put this stuff into play if you feel yourself getting that imposter syndrome itch and let us know how it works out for you. And don't forget to check out the rest of the AOC toolbox. If you did enjoy this, let us know. I'm at The Art of Charm on Twitter. I'll pass that along to the rest of the AOC team. And remember, you can tap the album art in most mobile podcast players to see the show notes for this episode. We'll link to the show notes right on your phone. Our boot camps, our live program details are at bootcamp.theartofcharm.com. 
AOCfamily.com. I love seeing people become part of the AOC family. The growth they experience over the next months and years is just nothing short of amazing. But do remember, we sell out a few months in advance, so if you're thinking about this, get in touch with us ASAP. We'll get some info out to you. You can plan ahead, no stress. And also, we've got the AOC challenge at theartofcharm.com slash challenge, or if you're here in the States, you can text the word charmed to 33444. That's C-H-A-R-M-E-D to 33444. The challenge is about improving your networking and connection skills and inspiring those around you to develop a personal and professional relationship with you. We'll also send you the rest of the AOC toolbox, of course, and I've got videos with drills and exercises to help you move forward. It'll make you a better networker, a better connector, and a better thinker, last but not least. So that's theartofcharm.com slash challenge or text charmed to 33444. For the full show notes for this and all previous episodes, head on over to theartofcharm.com slash podcast. This episode of The Art of Charm was produced by Jason DeFilippo. Jason Sanderson is our audio engineer and our editor, and the show notes on the website are by Robert Fogarty. I'm your host, Jordan Harbinger. Go ahead, tell your friends, because the greatest compliment you can give us is a referral to someone else, either in person or shared on the web. So stay charming and leave everything and everyone better than you found them. Thanks for listening to The Art of Charm. Get more confidence, relationship skills, life hacks, and more at the Art of Charm Podcast.com.